uh, last week, and you know then that we started a brand new series called The Great Paradox. And last week, we kind of dove in and we explored what a paradox really is. And Steve defined a paradox like this. He said a paradox is something that looks crazy, but true. A paradox is crazy, but true. And we explored one that Jesus gave us in Matthew chapter 5. And he said, blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will be given the kingdom of heaven. And you're kind of like, well, wait, that doesn't make sense. And that's what a paradox is. It's crazy, but we dove into it, and we've come to find out that it's true. And paradoxes can be semi-confusing at times. In fact, let me show you the most confusing paradox that I think I've ever found. And here it is. It's Pinocchio. And Pinocchio is saying, my nose will grow now. And, and some of you might get this because he says, my nose will grow now. But if it grows, then he was telling the truth. But his nose is only supposed to grow if he tells a lie. But if it doesn't grow, then he was lying. And it's supposed to grow. And yeah, some of you are like, I don't know anything you just said. And then there's others of you, your jaws are still on the ground because you're like, that was crazy. I get it. And that's, that's what a paradox is. It's crazy, and it's true. And if you didn't get it, that's cool. This is, this is a conclusion I can give to you about Pinocchio. It's just like, just don't trust Pinocchio. Pinocchio's a bad dude, man, all right? He's a, he's a pathological liar. He turned into a donkey at some point. Like, his nose grows. He's a freak, man. Just look at the guy. So just don't trust Pinocchio. That's all, that's all that is. But tonight, we're going to explore another paradox, we're going to dive into another paradox, and here's what I think. I think each and every single one of you are going to be able to relate to tonight because I think what we're going to talk about tonight is something that each and every single one of us has felt in the room at some point, and it's this. Tonight, I want to talk to you about pain. Tonight, I want to talk to you about pain, and when I bring that word up and it comes up and we say the word pain, likely what happens is somewhere in your brain you think of a story or you think of a time when you've experienced some kind of pain, or maybe it wasn't even you that experienced the pain. Maybe, maybe the story that pops in your head is a time when you saw somebody else experience pain, and, and I felt pain and, and you felt pain, but the story that comes into my mind is this, and it happened freshman year of high school in gym class. And freshman year gym class just makes great, great stories. And so my friend James and I, we both are in freshman gym class. And we walk into Mr. Swisher. Yeah, Mr. Swisher was his name. And what's ironic is that Mr. Swisher always wore those swishy pants, like those athletic swishy pants. So you like walk and you know exactly how fast he's going. It's like whoosh, 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 whoosh. And like, we all just called him like swishy swisher. And so, so I walked into Swishy Swisher's gym class, which is a tongue twister, and we walk in, and he says, today, we're going to play the greatest sport of all time. That's it, dodgeball. We're going to play dodgeball. And so my friend James, we get put on separate teams. We're both hyper-competitive. Uh, so James is on one side of the court, and then in the beginning of dodgeball, all the dodgeballs are lined up in the middle of the court, and then my team is on the other side of the court. And you know how dodgeball works in the very beginning. All the dodgeballs are in the center, and the two teams are required to rush to the center, and whoever gets there first gets the dodgeball. So James is on that side of the court, and I'm on this side of the court. And all the dodgeballs are in the middle, and when the buzzer goes off or the whistle blows, we run to the center. And I'm looking at him, and he's looking at me like, bring it on, bro. We're both going for that one. And so the whistle goes off, and we're at full sprint. And we're running toward the dodgeballs, and I decide I get there just a little quicker, and I'm going down. 
And James is like right there, and we're at full speed. And some point he thinks, I've got to move. So I'm going to jump over him. And, and as he jumps and as I go down for this dodgeball, his abdomen, like this guy is ripped. So like my face crashes into like a metal washboard at full force from both of us. And the next thing I remember is just blacked out. Knocked out, unconscious, there in the middle of the gym floor. And the next thing I remember is waking up to like the bright light and all these people just pelting me with dodgeballs. And I'm like, what are my friends? This is ridiculous. <laughs> and so one of my friends comes, grabs me, picks me up off the gym floor, takes me to the ER because I was saying some weird stuff that I shouldn't have been saying. And he's like, dude, you got some problems. We need to take you to the hospital. Go to the hospital, and, you know, they say it's nothing major. Like, it was a serious concussion, but, like, you're going to be fine. Everything seems to be working up there. And all my friends are like, nah, bro, uh, not everything's working up there, trust me. And, and so I'm on my way. I'm leaving the hospital, and I pass by a room, and who do I see but James. James there in the ER with me. And so I pop into his room, and I'm like, hey, James, um, how you doing, buddy? You know, he's got IVs hooked up. He's not looking so hot. And I say, James, like, dude, what happened? Like, did they, did they tell you what's going on? I know your abs probably hurt a little bit. He's like, uh, uh, yeah, man. Um, yeah, they named a few things. Uh, apparently, I've got, like, a few broken ribs. And, like, my lung is partially collapsed. And uh, I think I have spleen damage. Uh, my liver's not working quite like it should. And, oh, and there, there's internal bleeding everywhere. And I'm like, dang it, I killed James. Like, James is going to die. <laughs> and I don't know what to do. So I'm just like, dude, I'm so sorry. And so James, James stays in the hospital for 11 days, uh, has some surgery. Mind you, my face did that to him. And, and the state of Indiana's board, the board of Indiana for all of the high schools, hears about our incident while he's hospitalized, and they, they I kid you not, they banned dodgeball in the state of Indiana. So if you are in school in Indiana, you will never play dodgeball thanks to myself and James. Uh, and everybody hates us for this. That's a true story. And, and my head hurt. It was quite a bit of pain for like the next few weeks. James definitely had a lot of pain. And, and likely you have a story in your life that dealt with some sort of pain. Because pain is something that we all relate to. And no matter what we do, and no matter how careful you are, this is the reality of life, is that eventually everyone feels pain. Everyone feels pain. And it doesn't matter how careful you are. It doesn't matter how protected you are. It doesn't matter how far out of harm's way you think you might be. Everyone feels pain. And some people will go so far out of their way to not experience pain. In fact, check out this guy. This guy is literally called Bubble Boy. His name's Bubble Boy, and he lives in a bubble. Like, he lives in that because he just doesn't want to encounter germs. He doesn't want to encounter anything that might cause him pain. So people will go out of their way, literally live in bubbles to avoid pain. But the reality of life is that that's not going to do anything because eventually everyone feels pain. And I know what you're thinking. Super encouraging message tonight, Robbie. Thanks, buddy. Right? Because that's what you showed up for M12 here, is that you're going to feel pain. Or maybe, maybe that's not where your mind went. Maybe, maybe you're kind of asking some questions. Maybe you're, you just got done singing how great God is. 
And if God is so great, if God is so good, then how could he allow pain, something so poor and so, so bad, into my life? If God is so good, then why would he allow something like pain to enter my life? And that's a great question. That's a great question. That's a fair question to ask. And all I'm going to challenge you to do tonight is I'm going to challenge you to shift your perspective on pain. Because we know, you know this and I know this, that the, the perspective of a father is always different than the perspective of the child. And you know this to be true because you've had conversations with your parents that have gone something like this. Yeah, mom, yeah, but, but dad, like, this is what really happened, and this is, this is what I know to happen, and this is the only way you can see it, right? And they're like, no, wrong. This is what actually happened. This is actually what you did, and this is actually how I see it. And you're like, why can't we see eye to eye? Why can't we be on the same page? Why can't we just think the same thing? And it's because the perspective of the father or the mother is always different than the perspective of the child. And though I've never had children, I know this to be true because I have worked in a preschool. <laughs> and I, yeah, I know, I worked in a preschool for three years. And, and every summer in the preschool, we would take one field trip a week. We would take one field trip and I had the brilliant idea, why don't we take 25 or 26 preschoolers to the Indianapolis Zoo? Yeah which is a terrible idea. It's terrible. I'm like, let's take all the four and five-year-olds we can handle and bring them to one of the largest zoos in America. This is going to be fun. And so we all break up into groups. And, and one leader has, you know, five or six kids, and this leader has five or six kids, and I have five or six kids in my group. And one of the girls in my group, her name was Sydney. And, and here's what you need to know about Sydney. Um, Sydney was crazy. Like, Sydney, we, we called Sydney the Sour Patch Kid. Because in one moment, she would be, like, totally the sweetest thing you've ever met. And then the next moment, she would be uh, not that. I remember one time I was sitting at my desk, and Sydney comes up with a painting. And she's like, hey, Robbie, um, I painted you this. And it's, like, uh, this super sweet thing of, like, rainbows and unicorns. And it says I love you real big on I'm like, oh, Sydney, thank you so much. That really... And before I could finish the sentence, she had the shoe off of another kid and was beating him with it. And I'm like, I don't even know how you did that. That's incredible. Like, I want to be angry at you, but I can't. And I'm looking at this painting, and it's like, I don't know. So she's like the Sour Patch Kid. She's a little crazy. And Sydney's in my group at the zoo. And so Sydney comes up to me and is like, hey, um, Mr. Robbie, like, maybe... Maybe we could go see the lions. And I was like, totally. The lions sound like an awesome thing to see. Some of you are with me. And, and so I'm over here, and I'm like, we're at the lions, and I'm talking to Ian, and I'm talking to this parent, I'm talking to this kid. And then it occurs to me, where's Sydney at? Yep. And I turn around, and there's Sydney, like, climbing through the cage into the lion's den. And I'm like, I'm going to handle this very well. So I run, and I scream, and I jump in there with her. And I'm like pulling her through the bars, and I'm like, Sydney, we gotta have a talk, girl. Uh, so I sit her down, and I just I started off because I really don't know what to say. Hey, Sydney, like, what were you thinking? Uh, and she's like, Well, you know, uh, the lions—they're like big and fluffy, and like they got a cool mane that I'd like like to cuddle up with. And like, I thought maybe we could take a nap. And. And I didn't know what to say to that. And so I was just like, uh, Sydney, um, Sydney uh, here's what I know, is if you, 
if you went in there, you would die. Um, so you can't do that. And it wasn't that that she was wrong, like in, in the sense of like, look, you got a lot of thinking to do. It, it's not that. All it was was she needed a different perspective. You see, Sydney, Sydney thought that the lion's cage was a safe space. But what I knew was that the lion's cage was a lethal location. And all it was was a shift in perspective. And I'm going to challenge you tonight to take the idea of pain and to shift the perspective a little bit. And I think that God understands this perspective. I think God's got a good handle on what pain is, and he has this perspective because this is what he said. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, if you have a Bible, I want you to go ahead and grab it. I want you to open it to Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. That's going to be page 968 in your worship center Bible. And let me say, if this is one of your first times or you don't have a Bible of your own, go ahead and take this one with you. This is our gift to you. We want you to get in it, write in it, read it, get into God's word. It's going to change your life. But for right now, turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read in verse 4. That's page 968. And Jesus says this to us. Blessed, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed, a word that literally means to be content, to be satisfied, to be happy. Happy are those who mourn. And you hear that and you're kind of like, say what, Jesus? That doesn't make any sense, right? Because that's a paradox. I don't know if that's what Jesus said, but that's what I think he said. And like, this is, this is what mourn actually means here. Mourn is to be deep and helpless sorrow. And so deep and so helpless of a sorrow that you're actually wailing out. Wailing out as if you, the death of a loved one had just occurred. And you can kind of hear that. And it doesn't quite feel like anything more painful than losing someone that close to you. But, but Jesus says, blessed, blessed, happy, content, satisfied are those who feel that deep of sorrow. And in reality, we don't want to feel that. I never, ever wanted to feel the pain that I felt when my mom would look at me and she would say things like, Rob, you're not going to amount to anything in life. Robbie, you're not going to measure up. You're not good enough for ministry. You're not good enough to speak. I don't know why you pursue those things. And I never wanted to hear or feel the pain of my dad saying the only reason that we spend time together is because the alternative is an angry wife. But those are the things that I've dealt with, and those are the things that I've heard. And in that, there was pain. And it's not a good thing to feel. And so what we will do is we'll look for other ways to get our minds off of the pain. Have you noticed that? Something happens, and it hurts inside. And so what we'll immediately do is we'll turn to something else, and we'll try to avoid the pain. You'll try to avoid it. And, and there's, a few, there's a few ways that I think we avoid pain. And just like the lion's den for Cindy, she thought it was a safe place, avoiding pain is not safe. Avoiding pain is not safe. In fact, avoiding pain isn't safe. It's harmful. Avoiding pain isn't safe. It's harmful. But that's what we try to do. We try to avoid the pain. And I think whether you realize it or not, whether you realize it or not, there's ways in your life that you also try to avoid the pain. And I want to give you a few of them. And so let's just say, let's just say that something emotional happens. 
It could be something as small as, as like, uh, you tried out for the team, and after a few days of tryouts, you didn't make the cut, and that hurts inside. Or maybe, maybe you just, you went and you asked Bay out to prom, and they were like, nah, it ain't happening, and that kind of hurts inside, and you kind of don't like that rejection, and so there's pain there. Or maybe, or maybe it's something even more intense, like the divorce of your parents, and that hurts, or the death of your loved one, and that hurts. And I think there's things that we turn to to dampen and dull that pain. And the first one, I think, is this. The first one, TV or Netflix. Come on. I know, I know some of you, your Netflix game is so strong. And, and this is what happens. It's like on Monday, you're like, dude, I'm asking the smoking hot girl out in math class, you know? And then she says no. And then, like, you're kind of hurt, and you're kind of pain. And by Friday, you've seen, like, every episode of How I Met Your Mother five times, and you're on season six of Lost, and then you're into shows that you never thought you'd ever watch, like Gossip Girl, you know? Yeah, I see you. And it's like, all because on Monday you felt some sort of rejection, you felt some sort of pain in your life, and over the week you've just indulged in something because you don't want to feel the pain anymore, and you need a distraction. You need something to dampen and dull the feeling. So you turn to the TV, you turn to the games, you turn to Netflix. Or maybe, maybe something like, ladies, you, you walk up to him and you're like, hey, uh, kind of into you. And he's kind of like, uh, well, I'm not. And that kind of hurts. And, and, and the first thing you turn to maybe is, is this, food. You go straight to food. And it's like you feel the rejection and you make a beeline straight to Kroger for the half pint of Ben and Jerry's half-baked, am I right? Come on, give it up for Ben and Jerry's. It's a beautiful thing. But what we do is we feel the pain and then we do this thing and you've heard it said like, yeah, I'm just eating my emotions. I'm just eating my emotions. It's only, it's only one thing of ice cream. It's only one meal. It's only a little bit of junk food. And then, like, all of you on the paleo diet, you'll tell yourself lies like, it's my cheat day anyway. And, like, you're just going to go ahead and eat that. But all you're doing is you're just eating your emotions because you don't want to feel the pain, so you find something else to fulfill it. Or maybe, maybe you turn to what, what, what I think, ladies, you do best, and it's this, shopping. And it's like something bad has happened in there. And you don't know what else to do, so you just take straight off to the mall and go crazy. And, and what's happening is this. You're feeling something inside, and immediately your first reaction is just to cover it with something on the outside. You feel something internally, and you externally try to cover it up. And you go to the mall, or you run straight online, and you're like, I need everything. And all you're trying to do is try to fill something because there's pain in your life, and you need something to distract, you need something to dull, you need something in your mind to cover it all up. So you shop. Or maybe, maybe you look at all three of these, and you're just kind of like, you know what, Robbie, that none of those are really me. But I guarantee this last one affects each and every single one of us in the room. And I bet you've done this. And the first thing you turn to when you feel pain is the internet or social media. And immediately, there's something that goes wrong in your life. And the next thing you're doing is you're pulling out your phone, and you're looking at Instagram, you're looking at Twitter, because this is why. There's some sort of pain, and you need the medicine. And then all of a sudden, you think you've found the antidote 
right in your pocket. And it's right there, and it's easy to go to. And you stop. You want to stop focusing on all the things in your life because it hurts. So you start focusing on the lives of others around you. And here's what you're doing. You're not helping you. You're not helping you. You're just avoiding the pain. You're just avoiding it. Because here's the reality. All of these things aren't going to help you. These things aren't helping you. You're not doing anything good for yourself when you indulge in these things when there's pain. You're just postponing it. You're just avoiding it. And it's, it's like this. Have, have any of you ever broken your foot before? Right. So some of you, some of you have broken your foot. So you, you have like a broken foot and the bone is sticking out. So you kind of walk. You don't. Yeah, I know. You don't walk, but you wheel yourself to the doctor. And the doctor's like, I can fix that. That's not a problem. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fix it. And then you're going to go home. And here's what I need you to do. You're going to find like the best pair of Nikes you've got, the best pair of Jordans, the best pair of Toms, whatever you're into. I need you to take those and I need you to wear them for like six or eight weeks. Right. Is that what he says? Wrong. That's not what he does. He doesn't tell you to go put on your favorite pair of shoes. In fact, he gives you a shoe. He gives you a boot specific for the break because that is part of the healing process. He gives you a boot specific to the break. But what we do, what we do when we feel pain and we turn to these things, all you're doing is there's a break on your foot and it's causing pain and you just put on a shoe. You just put on a shoe to cover it all up. And what you'll do is you'll walk throughout your day and you'll tell people that everything's fine and that there's nothing really going on in your life and everything's good because you think you have it covered up. But in the reality, with every single step you take, you feel and you're reminded of the pain. And it doesn't matter what you tell people. It doesn't matter how pretty you make it. It's still there. And it doesn't matter how many days I go to school and I went to school and people would say, hey, Bobby, how are things at home? And I would just say, oh, they're great. They're fine. There's really nothing that you need to worry about. And all I was doing was I was talking about the shoe that I put on my foot. And I thought that I dealt with the pain, but all I did was I was avoiding the pain. And I was turning into things like Netflix and food and shopping and the Internet. And those were the things that I thought was the medicine, but it wasn't helping at all. It was just covering up the pain. And that's what we do. We turn to these things. But over time, just like if you put a shoe on a broken foot, over time these things can cause long-term effects. And if you continue to walk with a broken foot without a boot made to heal, it's going to cause long-term problems. And what we've seen in science is beginning to prove to us is things like, like when you, when you avoid pain again and again and again in your life, when you avoid it, things like, like anxiety disorders, anger issues, attention deficit, alienation, those are sort of things that medically happen in your life when you choose to avoid the pain. And I think God knew this. And so he gave us something, a promise. He gave us a promise at the end of that verse. And this is, look at Matthew 5 again. This is what he says. He says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And you see, you, when, when you experience pain, you will, you will seek comfort. The question isn't if you will, the question is where you will. 
and you'll either turn to Netflix, you'll turn to TV, you'll turn to the internet, you'll run to the nearest restaurant, you'll find the nearest piece of technology to find your comfort, and you're going to indulge in 30 seconds of comfort, or 30 minutes of, of, of comfort in a Netflix episode, or, or you can mourn. You can mourn. And in doing that, you find comfort for a lifetime. Comfort that comes from the God himself who promised and invented comfort. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to go through this middle step. We just want to skip right over the morning and find the comfort. Because morning is painful. Morning brings things to our mind that we don't want to recall. We don't want to revisit. We don't want to remember the things that hurt us. So we push them off. We avoid them. And we don't mourn. And it's, it's kind of like this. How, how many of you know what this is? It's... It's hydrogen peroxide. This is, this is hydrogen peroxide. And when you, when you see this, it likely brings some sort of memory. It might bring some sort of memory of some sort of pain that you felt. Because, because this is what your mom made you pour on a wound when you got scratched or you got hurt. And what it does is it cleans it. And it heals it. And it prevents infection from the injury. But what this actually does too to you is it kind of hurts. You pour it on, and you can actually see the pain. It makes like these white bubbles coming up, and you're like, there's the pain. I can see it. And it actually like yells at you. It makes a noise, and it's like, <sighs> and it's like yelling at you to stop. But what's actually happening is it's healing you, but it's painful, and you don't like it. And, and the reality of hydrogen peroxide is this. The more severe the wound is, the more severe the pain is, chances are the more severe this is going to hurt. But the more severe and the more painful the wound is, the more necessary this becomes. And what we do in mourning, hydrogen peroxide is the mourn. It's mourning. And when you choose to mourn, you choose to receive God's comfort because it's healing and the more deeply you mourn, the more deeply you receive God's comfort. And if you ever reject mourning, inevitably, you reject God's comfort. And how we do that is we avoid the pain. And mourning isn't something that's fun. Mourning doesn't feel good. Because you're going to have to revisit things. You're going to have to recall things. You're going to have to relive things that hurt. But there's a promise. There's a promise that when we mourn, God meets you, and you'll be comforted. And so students, students, I need you to ask a question. I need you to dig deep, and I need you to explore something tonight. And I need you to ask yourself this question. I need you to ask, what pain are you avoiding? What pain are you avoiding? You see, you see, I, I don't know what, what kind of pain happens outside of these walls and what you carry in. I don't know that. But I know there's been pain in my life. And I know that there's abuse and there's heartache and there's hurt and there's rejection and there's failure and there's things that I don't want to remember and I don't want to sit in it. But mourning requires you to sit 
in those moments. And it requires you to recall the pain and think about the pain. And chances are, chances are there's pain in your life that you've chosen just to avoid. You've chosen just to avoid it. And so maybe that pain is, maybe that pain really is something physical that you carried in here with a disorder or some kind, and, and you've been trying to find ways to get away from it. But I think more times than not in this room that you probably have something emotional that has happened in your life. Maybe, maybe it's something like, like your parents' divorce. And maybe it's even further than that, and they blame you. And that's caused pain, and that hurts. Or maybe it's, maybe it's that you went through some sort of breakup, or some, you felt some sort of rejection, and that hurts. And maybe, maybe it's like me, and there's, there's been verbal abuse, and there's been things said to you that you haven't recovered of, and you've just kind of pushed off, and you've tried to get it out of your mind as best as possible. And those things hurt. Maybe it's, maybe it's something even more serious. Maybe, maybe you've actually lost someone close to you. And that hurts. And that's real pain. But what pain have you been avoiding? And I want you to find that. And when you do, I'm going to challenge you to do something. And it's not going to be easy. And it's not going to be fun. And it's not going to feel great. But students, I need you to do this. And I'm going to ask you to mourn. And I'm going to ask you to recall and relive and revisit that pain. And mourning can look like a few different things. It doesn't, it doesn't look the same for anyone. And when, when things happen in my life and things were spoken to me and things were spoken over me, my go-to is just me in my room with a journal. And I remember the first time that I journaled, I came back, I was in the eighth grade, and I came back from school that day and someone had told me that a guy named Greg had committed suicide. And I remember my relationship with Greg and it wasn't pleasant, it wasn't, it wasn't good. And people turned to me and they said, you're responsible. And that hurt. And I had to wrestle with that pain. And I remember I went back to my room and I pulled out a journal and I just started writing. And from that day forward, that's been kind of my process. I write, I write lines, I write page after page, I write song after song, paragraph after paragraph. And that's how I mourn. And in that moment when I mourn, there's something that happens, and God's faithful, and I begin to feel his comfort. And there's things only in the moment that God's comfort, that he wants to teach you, and that's the only time he can teach you is when he brings that comfort to you. And maybe mourning doesn't look like that to you. Maybe it's even simpler. Maybe mourning just simply means that you just need to cry. And that sounds so simple and so cliche, but here's what we know about crying is that, that when you actually cry, that there are certain chemicals in your brain, there are certain endorphins that are released that actually brings healing to your body and healing to your mind. And I, all, I think that's all part of God's design and God's promise that when you mourn, you'll be comforted. And maybe, 
Maybe mourning looks even more different. Maybe, maybe mourning just means you sit down with your life group leader for one hour and you just begin to talk and you communicate and you bring up and you relive the pain in your life. And within that dialogue, you're going to find something. And you're going to find within that dialogue that you feel something that you've looked to other places for. And that's comfort. And that comfort is only going to come from God. And so I don't know the pain that you're thinking of or the pain that you've been avoiding. But I know that there's something that you can do with that pain. And it's the best decision you'll make with it. And it's just to sit in it. And experience it. Because when you do that, when you mourn, you find the blessing. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. So what are you going to do with the pain in your life tonight? How will you respond? Blessed, blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much for your promises, for your faithfulness, God. And that when you tell us things like, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You're giving us a promise. You're giving us something we can hold fast to. And that's that it doesn't matter what kind of pain we experience, God, that you have a plan with it. And that we don't have to turn to things like the TV. We don't have to turn to the nearest restaurant, the nearest piece of technology, God. Because we can turn to you, and you're always there, and you're faithful. And you can bring the comfort that we need. So, God, I pray for students tonight all across this room as they begin to dig deep and they begin to discover the pain that they've been avoiding, the pain that they've been putting off, God. Would you bring that to their attention? Would you bring it to their mind? And though it's uncomfortable and all, though it doesn't feel good, God, I pray that they would revisit it, they would relive it. Because I know that when you do that, when they begin to mourn and they begin to process those things, God, that you are faithful and that you bring that comfort. So God, would tonight, would this room, would be with their peers, would it be with their life groups, would it be with the journal, God, would you meet them tonight? God, would you be a God of comfort? Because we know that you're that. I know that you're that. You're so good to us. And we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.